Hi there, and welcome back to The Fuse Show. Today I'm joined by Larry Rosenzweig. Uh, today's uh, episode title is The Rise of the Creator Economy, and our tagline is 50 million people are earning a living online today. How can you become a revenue-generating creator? And our guest, Larry, is the co-founder and CEO of Sequence, a video creation platform for creators to produce video content 10 times faster. Before starting Sequence, Larry worked in technology and ran a small production, video production company for the past decade. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. So you're not the first person that's trying to tackle the creator economy space, but how, can you tell me about your journey, uh, your personal journey of how you came to realize this is the problem you want to solve and this is the business you want to build? Yeah, for sure. So let's see. I started making films in high school uh, over 12 years ago. Um, the first film I made actually ended up being with my one of my co-founders who uh, is working on Sequence with me today. Uh, hmm. We made a feature. We didn't know short form filmmaking was even an option. So we made a 90 minute film. Uh, it was a life changing experience. Uh, did it on a you know shoestring budget, uh, having never previously even you know turned on a camera before. Told ourselves how to edit. Uh, fast forward seven or eight years later, the two of us are still working together, and you know we put films into festivals uh, as well as even sold one to a distribution platform. And we realized whether we're making short or long form, scripted, unscripted uh, videos from Zoom uh, calls, live streams, you name it, it just takes too long to get from raw footage to your first draft where the real creativity begins. And we hmm. saw this problem and recognized that this wasn't just something we were facing individually, but a large market of individual video creators and teams were experiencing as well. And how did you, did you just meet these in your journey of being a video creator? These other people that had the same problem? Yeah, the one of the biggest benefits to our market is the video creator community is very strongly networked. So uh, you'll meet one video creator, and that one video creator can, you know, over the course of uh, call it two years, introduce you to another ten video creators, and then each one of those ten introduce you to another ten, and it just kind of uh, scales on its own. Does that parallel your marketing and growth strategy with Sequence as well? Like you're getting primarily like users through referrals? Yeah, especially in our early days, uh, word of mouth, uh, community-driven, bottoms-up adoptions uh, been our primary focus today. So how did you go from creating films to creating a film platform? Because I feel like there's a lot of hoops in between. You need to, one, I guess, learn technology or learn how to manage technologists. And two, you need to learn how to, like I guess, build a business around something. And I think... A lot of people love solving problems, but not necessarily to the extent of building a business to solve a problem. How do you know that was the right the right thing for you? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So um, at first I didn't. Uh, my whole purpose in college was I uh, want to find a career uh, where I like what I'm doing during the day and then take uh, my income and literally just put it into making films. Um, that was like my entire life goal at, you know, 19. Uh, and I stumbled on technology, uh, computer science and, and design. And, you know, I had some friends who were in the space and they showed me what they were working on. And I quickly uh, became attracted to learning, you know, how to solve problems there and, you know, recognized uh, that I could fulfill uh, my dream of uh, being able to work in technology uh, and create uh, interesting solutions to challenging problems during the day and, you know, by night being able to be a full-time uh, creator. 
And how I know a lot of creators create and they make like effectively 10 cents per video or some negligible amount from like YouTube AdSense. How do you, how do you encourage people to go from, yeah, it's just getting started and making like significant levels of income, like enough to like, at least be like a side gig that's reliable. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a great question. And, and, you know, there's no silver bullet, I think first off, uh, hmm. what I will say is if you are passionate about something, um, you don't have to go to film school or take a whole course in order to learn how to record. So you can, you know, buy a, an affordable DSLR camera. You can record yourself in your room, uh, you know, even on your webcam. And the idea is if you are captivating and telling a story through um, either like something you're teaching or uh, as a vlog, like as you as a persona, really whatever um, that you're passionate about, um, what we see is in order to start hitting uh, critical mass say on YouTube, for example, you would need about six months of consistency in your videos. Whereas say in TikTok, um, because they have a different algorithm, you're able to uh, much more quickly, uh, if you're engaging, uh, be able to scale and you know, create a revenue generating strategy. Is it your goal through sequence to help users reach that goal? Or is it more so you're trying to solve a technical problem within the the scope of that domain? It's a great question. Um, I would say in the short term, we're definitely looking at helping folks who already uh, create meaningful video content and help them accelerate that process. Uh, long term, our mission is to uh, democratize the video creation workflow. So being able to make it not only really fast, like we're focusing on today, but also uh, a lot more accessible and a lot more collaborative. And that way we'll be able to enable anyone to create meaningful video content. Can you elaborate more on yes, your like ICP, your ideal customer profile and where it is today and where you want to see evolve over time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, today we are targeting um, any video editor who is using platforms like Adobe Premiere, uh, DaVinci Resolve, Final Cut 10, um, really just ensuring that we're able to um, you know, accelerate the workflows for folks who are editing uh, with the existing uh, platforms now. Uh, but long term, we do see a world where we're able to um, elaborate on that and start building more technology in the cloud for uh, more, uh, you know, distributed uh, collaborative video editing. Can you tell me more about how Sequence accelerates things dramatically compared to a more traditional video pipeline? Yeah. So we're giving video creators essentially uh, the speed and power of Google with the intuition and uh, seamlessness of a Trello. So that combination, so firepower and uh, simplicity in terms of the user experience is really the one-two punch of what makes Sequence special. And, you know, that secret sauce is a combination of uh, deep technical expertise that we have on our team with also the, you know, decade plus video editing experience. So in terms of how like the platform itself helps a user compared to like a pure Adobe workflow, like what are some of the benefits they can get through your uh, platform that couldn't get otherwise elsewhere? Yeah, that's a great question. So essentially you can treat sequence like 
uh, a Google, like I was mentioning, and you could do that for every project. What the value for our platform is, is we enable you to not only uh, very quickly create video content for your you know, existing project, but you can very easily repackage uh, previous content once again for uh, you know, any future purpose. Not only that, we enable you to very easily um, create different versions inside of our platform for your respective channels. So we mm. have a lot of um, existing uh, creators who uh, say they're working on some branded content. Uh, they have to create for that client a YouTube version, uh, Twitch, sorry, a TikTok version, um, and an Instagram version of, you know, from the same source footage. We make it just very easy for you to create uh, the rough draft of your story uh, exceptionally quick, and then you can, uh, you know, export that and move on to the next version, uh, you know, radically faster than you've previously done before. So when you say Google, when I'm searching something into the sequence platform, like what is it searching for? Is it like searching for like objects in the image? Is it searching for audio? Is it searching for um, like text? Like how, how's it searching? It's a great question. So it's a combination of all of the above. So you can search for quotes, uh, interviews, objects, locations, uh, uh, actual like actions, like walking, running, uh, down the road. We definitely look to continue expanding. Uh, to be able to build AI that's you know specific to the video workflow, um, but today we're able to give the video creator uh, a lot from both a quality and a reliability standpoint. So for the platform to be able to do this uh, sort of like tagging, does it require user intervention, or is it based on the like I don't know auto detection through like AI? Yeah, so we built our own models uh, that essentially go frame by frame. And the way it works is a video creator imports their footage into our platform, and we're streaming uh, low-resolution versions of the footage uh, into our infrastructure where we then go tag uh, all the metadata for both a visual and audio perspective. And we're hmm. indexing that metadata to give you the search capabilities that you would expect um, from uh, other types of robust search platforms. And, Equally important, you're at that point, once you find the result, able to very easily um, assemble your rough cut. So for you to grow your user base, how are you currently finding uh, these creators to use your platform? Yeah, so like I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, we've definitely been leveraging uh, word of mouth, uh, organic uh, growth. What's also been really exciting is um, being able to participate in different communities. So there's a lot of uh, video creator communities across uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Reddit, just to name a few examples. And because we've, as a team, been participants of these communities actively for the last decade, it's very easy for us to engage and um, work with folks uh, in a collaborative way because we're one of them. Essentially, like our team is building a platform by video creators for video creators. And that really resonates with uh, our, you know, existing and, uh, you know, presumably our future customers. Right now, are you, like, how, how big is your team currently? We're currently a small team uh, and we're currently hiring for full stack, senior and lead engineering positions to help grow. Okay. So right now it's you and your co-founder, is that right? Yeah. Okay.
In terms of between the two of you, how do you split responsibilities? So, so it's actually three of us. Um, three of us. Three. The way it's split is, uh, let's see. So our co-founder, so it's my co-founders, Nick and Dom. And Nick was uh, the other filmmaker, video editor who I was mentioning, uh, who I've you know been working with the last 12 years. Uh, he's our COO. Uh, he wears a lot of hats, um, everything from, uh, you know, head of product to QAing. Uh, to leading our marketing efforts to operations. And, you know, I think he's even done taxes uh, once for us. <laughs> um, he's, he's very talented and, you know, able to uh, do a lot at a very high level, which is huge at an early stage startup. Um, our other co-founder, Dom, he and I, we actually met uh, previously. We were working in banking, actually, uh, both in technology there and uh, he was a senior engineering manager, uh, and I was a senior engineer on his team. Um, and he uh, joined us, and the two of us built out version one of Sequence together. Um, but he's our CTO. Uh, we defer to him on all things architecture, infrastructure, engineering-wise. And uh, even though I contributed towards the code base for you know, a good two years, I, I've uh, not been in the code base for the last six months, uh, as you know, I've been focusing more on things like fundraising, sales, uh, and, you know, hiring. Gotcha. In terms of the, the initiatives you listed on your plate, how do you rank them in terms of time consumed? It's a good question. Um, it really depends on the timing. I would say right now, um, call it 40% sales, 40% hiring, 20% uh, fundraising. Okay. Usually I hear the reverse where fundraising is the 80%, the other rest is 20%. <laughs> it's, it's nice to know you're able to still balance everything out because I think a lot of other people get stuck in just the fundraising. Yeah, it, you know, I, I think what's important, and, and we've experienced it, uh, and I think mm -hmm. most early stage startups do, is you really got to time box it. Um, so there'll be, uh, you know, ebbs and flows when you're uh, doing one thing more than others. Um, I've definitely had the periods where I'm not 80% fundraising. I'm like 99% fundraising um, <laughs> or, or, or so it feels like. Uh, but I think it is important to time box uh, and even give yourself retrospectives to be able to think about um, what's important uh, at the moment. And as things change with product, uh, with traction, uh, with everything else, you're able to uh, also reevaluate where uh, you want to devote your resources. So how did your experience in building No Outlet Media influence your experience in building Sequence? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so the, the film we made in high school was actually called No Outlet. So that's why we named the <laughs> media company after it. Um, so No Outlet Media was this really fun, uh, small production company uh, that I ran uh, with another uh, you know, friend and filmmaker. Um, Nick had been running a, a couple other production companies as well uh, over the past decade. And you know, I think what we both experienced was the fact that you have to watch back all of your footage all the time just to be able to create the first draft of your story. And when I would create a web series and we go have 10 to 20 actors on set and do a real project and want to be able to distribute it and, you know, do a great, uh, you know, high quality job with the project. Uh, it was important for me to be able to uh, review all that footage 
turns out with spreadsheets uh, and really, you know, doing a thorough uh, examination of what we captured, it would end up taking, uh, you know, weeks uh, all in terms of total number of hours before we could even like edit the first seconds of the, you know, five minute video. And I experienced this over and over again. So specifically with Noel and Media, I kind of, I remember it was like a Saturday and I spent like an entire 10 hour day with spreadsheets, reviewing every file, watched each one back multiple times and kind of threw my like pen up and said, I, I just can't, I can't work like this anymore and started scouring for solutions out there to solve this because at first I didn't really want to build sequence. I wanted to buy it. And because I couldn't find it, uh, I felt uh, my team and I were uh, and are the right uh, team to go and solve this problem. So when you had this problem, you had to probably learn a lot of technical things along the way. Imagine software engineering in the banking world and software engineering in the video production world are completely different, maybe even world apart. Is that a fair assessment? It's a good question. Uh, luckily, where uh, our co-founder Dom and I were working previously, we were using a lot of the modern uh, technology stacks and we were able to build the majority of our infrastructure and technology uh, using similar uh, stack and essentially Yes, like there are a lot of differences in terms of uh, user experience and uh, workflow. But when you think about it, like at the end of the day, uh, you know, creating a project and making an API call to a backend is like not different between any uh, product consumer or enterprise. And I think taking hmm. that philosophy has helped us been able to build a really powerful product with just a very lean team. Gotcha. And did you have to learn specific video related, I don't know, APIs or like packages to learn how to process video data at scale and throw it into machine learning, I guess, training model? Yeah, it, it's a good question. Um, what I will say is um, we've invested a lot of resources in building uh, strong relationships with the other editing programs, uh, like Adobe, for example, um, and building an integration into those platforms is uh, uh, definitely something you don't learn at a bank. Um, it's a very challenging uh, workflow to successfully build. And you know, I know up, you know upfront, even ahead of the call, we chatted for a minute. Uh, about how as a video creator, you want to make sure you can trust the platform and, you know, a workflow isn't uh, going to be completely new and different from what you do today. And as video creators for the last decade, our team really recognized that. And that's why uh, we believe that we've created a platform with all the subtlety and nuance necessary that uh, video creator is going to need in order to, uh, you know, add a new cloud-first, uh, fast uh, platform into their existing workflow. So what about the building of the model that identifies either metadata in the form of video or, or images or audio? Like to train on audio data, there's a lot of audio samples, but to train on visual data, you do need examples of a lot of pictures. Did you just use Google Images and like download those images? Or how did you train your model to identify certain like entities? Yeah, it's a great question. So, 
Yeah, so using visual as an example, we were able to take hundreds of thousands of images and essentially uh, train uh, based on those hundreds of thousands of images to discern certain objects and locations. And we do this all as pre-processing before your footage even comes into the platform. So we're not learning on uh, your right, new footage, right. we're doing it on pre-existing images and uh, able to tag uh, things like desk or coffee cup or beach um, as your footage comes in. Uh, we can't do things that are more specific yet. So between your experience as a software engineer and I guess your, your academic experiences, did you learn more from school or did you learn more from your accelerated program to be an entrepreneur? Got it. It was necessary to do both. And I feel the sequential order of them was uh, the right one. So I felt it was important to learn how to build technology, uh, design good software first, learn the real craft to parallel my uh, love of, you know, implementing the craft for filmmaking. Naturally, I stumbled upon this intersection where we could build technology to solve a problem for creators. So I think it's a sort of thing where if you're passionate about solving a problem, uh, you'll be able to find communities like the accelerator we participated in to help um, support and accelerate uh, your growth, not only as a company, but also personally to be able to take on, say, like a large undertaking, like, you know, starting a startup. Who would you recommend? Did you feel like there's a specific type of people who would best benefit from going through an accelerated program? Or do you feel like every entrepreneur should go through an accelerated program? That's a good question. I, I definitely would not be prescriptive to say every entrepreneur okay. should. Um, our team was first time founders uh, from a, you know, a venture back startup perspective. Nick had worked at two early stage startups in leadership roles previously. So he, he definitely saw it at a later stage firsthand. Um, and Dom had a lot of technology experience and, you know, leadership and management experience, but hadn't, uh, you know, created a startup before either. So we felt as a team, given the three of us were all first time founders, that an accelerator was a really great fit for us. And I think, you know, there's plenty of startups that don't go through an accelerator and, uh, succeed, uh, even as first time founders, but there's a lot of little and I'd say large mistakes that we were able to avoid just from having, uh, you know, a really high quality uh, community uh, through the accelerator and the broader, uh, you know, New York tech community be able to support us. Can you walk me through some of those examples of things that you mistakes that you were able to avoid because you had an accelerated program or community? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I would say the first one is just thinking about KPIs. Uh, until we joined an accelerator, uh, for those who don't know what KPI is, it stands for key performance indicator. And essentially it's a couple, usually one to two core metrics that you focus on, uh, to be like your North star as a company. And you'd want to review them, uh, weekly, uh, with your core, uh, founding team to make sure, uh, what you've accomplished or, or failed to accomplish in the previous week uh, is at least um, in line with your goals and uh, targeted towards accomplishing uh, your goals for the month with respect to those KPIs. 
Now, we have a lot more than, say, two KPIs that we worry about, but um, I think the accelerator was a great example of uh, getting us into practice uh, around thinking about KPIs at a smaller scale and uh, helped build our regiment uh, for our team to, you know, even now, almost a year later, be able to continue with the practice. I think another good example was uh, we'd have these like MD meetings, uh, which I guess st stood for managing director meetings, which was just basically a board meeting, uh, but with the three of us and our uh, like core team at the accelerator. And we do that monthly. And I think that was really helpful for us ahead of fundraising because we were able to understand uh, what the relationship would be like between us as a founding team and you know, starting to talk to uh, investors, not only investors uh, who you're talking to for the first time, but investors uh, who now you have relationships with, uh, what are those expectations like in terms of uh, monthly or quarterly updates? Do you have KPIs that you track nowadays that you've been tracking consistently for a long time now? Yes, um, they have and will continue to evolve. So we're not afraid to throw KPI out if it's uh, not working. Um, in terms of other experiences from, uh, did you learn from specific advisors that you met at the accelerator program or did you more like you learned from everyone? Like, was it more of a one-to-one -one or like a one-to-many style? Great question. Um, so definitely one-to-many. Um, I think there's definitely in any type of uh, community driven support, there's going to be a handful of folks who are like part of your inner circle. And then there's going to be like a next level uh, group of folks outside that, that are, uh, you know, actively helping you, uh, but maybe a little bit less than those, uh, you know, uh, immediate uh, supporters. Um, I'd say all in though, the broader community really helped us because uh, when you say want to begin fundraising, it's really nice to be able to go on LinkedIn and see someone you're connected with is connected to, uh, you know, a managing director at a fund, uh, you could potentially get a warm intro. And I think that was really helpful for us to be able to recognize that uh, there were uh, crucial people we connected with and then made, made sure we'd stay connected with um, long after the fact to be able to make, uh, you know, valuable intros for us. Did you have the uh, same group of people over time uh, to to advise as well as invest, or do you do you try to expand that, like to broader and broader groups? It's a good question. Um, I, I definitely like to continue expanding, um, and I don't think that necessarily dilutes uh, the support or help either. It's more just like uh, I think different people help you at different uh, times uh, in your growth, and they recognize that. So specifically with the accelerator, the program ended in October uh, of 2020. Uh, we had a demo day, uh, and then after that, uh, we'd still keep in contact and you know ask for some support. But we would, uh, you know, now we're basically on our own. Uh, and there's other companies who are currently going through the accelerator, and they're getting uh, you know a lot more one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, day-to-day -day support, which is. Uh, you know, very natural during, say, the four months of your cohort. So when you're in the, as, as a first-time founder, how do you make sure you're not being, like, given a bad deal when you're getting an investor cap, like, and when an investor, like, I guess, provides a cap table based on what they're willing to invest? Mm. 
Can, can you elaborate on, on the second half of that? Sure. So just to make sure, like, how, like, I guess for the founders or, or soon-to-be founders who are, like, following along in this episode, if they're, like, thinking about fundraising, how can they make sure they're getting a good deal uh, for the amount of equity they're giving up? Got it. Um, I think it's definitely an art and a science. So it's it's going to be hard to be prescriptive here, too. Uh, make sure you get good, good lawyers. I think that's important. Um, we've relied on our counsel to be helpful for us. Um, how'd you find a lawyer? How do we find ours? Um, funny, actually, through uh, one of our early angel investors, uh, his brother uh, was a tech lawyer um, and then started hmm. a company. And then he introduced us to uh, a couple other, uh, you know, councils, and we liked one of them in particularly, and we've been with them ever since. Gotcha. But yeah, I think just going back to your question, it's important to uh, make sure to learn what you don't know. Um, and I know it sounds maybe very obvious, but it is important to, I think, connect with uh, either through an accelerator or advisors or counsel, uh, especially counsel to understand what the fine print looks like, uh, before mm-hmm. you sign documents, just so then you're, uh, able to, uh, make the best decisions for, uh, you and your team. Okay. So in the, once you receive funding and you're trying to, like, I guess, use that funding well, what were some of the, the bigger pain points you experienced in your personal journey? With how to use the funding? Um, yeah. Or just in general, like, I guess things that require either time or money in, in, a, in a startup world. Got it. Got it. Um, it's a good question. I think uh, hiring is definitely a challenging, um, you know, aspect of uh, building a startup. So uh, we're currently hiring uh, and it's very exciting, uh, but it's also uh, a lot of work. Um you're getting, uh, you know, pulled in a lot of different directions. You're getting a lot of, uh, you know, interesting opportunities and exciting candidates coming through your pipeline. Uh, but it's really important uh, early on for you to recognize not only who would be a great fit from a position and role standpoint, but also from a culture standpoint. So in terms of how to use, uh, you know, your investments properly is important to, I think, you know, for software businesses, especially post COVID where a lot of them will be remote first. Um, you're probably not spending much on, uh, rent and other types of, uh, you know, brick and mortar, uh, costs. Uh, the majority of your expenses will likely be, uh, related to hiring. And I think, uh, your time should be reflected, uh, there as well. What are, you, what are you currently using to hire engineers? Because I think everyone's always in the hunt for good engineers. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, we're leveraging AngelList uh, and LinkedIn uh, for the most part right now. Um, and, uh, you know, really also leveraging our networks uh, to help us uh, broaden our hiring efforts, um, you know, to all types of communities, too. I recognize your company is on the younger end, but have you noticed any, like, influence as a result of COVID in terms of either accelerating your growth or making certain portions of your business harder or easier? Yeah, it's a good question. What here's what I'll say. Video is here to stay. Um, that's for sure. 
uh, as we're even doing a live stream here um, and streaming this out to all of uh, your different audiences. Uh, I do think it's reflective of the times. Um, there's a lot of different channels that even like, you know, this one video uh, could go out to. Um, and even post-COVID, uh, I think people at all realms, whether it's uh, an individual level or an enterprise level, have recognized the power of video, uh, everything from communication to uh, brand uh, to commercial strategy, et cetera. Um, so what we've seen from our business's standpoint is a lot more openness around uh not only video as a core strategy to building a successful business, but um, working with an early stage startup like ours, uh, perhaps earlier in a, uh, a sales uh, you know, process or in other uh, ways, being a lot more open to uh, updating and uh, integrating new products into, uh, frankly, uh, you know, not, you know, an old and uh, legacy workflow. One of the things I like to ask people who started business with their friends, I guess, like, how's it going for your relationship on the more personal side? Like, were you ever afraid that starting a business with friends would affect the relationship in a negative way? It's a good question. Um, no, was never really concerned. Um, I think what's great about Nick, Dom, and myself is the three of us uh, definitely have our own separate lives um, when we're not, uh, you know, working uh, on sequence and. I think that gives us all um, the like healthy amount of balance and, you know, being able to bring our best selves to uh, our day to day. Gotcha. And what are some things you like to do in your free time to help you like really decompress? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, in a, in normal non COVID times, I like to uh, go to concerts. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan. So I like to not only go to baseball games, but play softball on the weekends um, and uh, I'm here in New York City, so it's always great uh, checking out uh, different neighborhoods, uh, restaurants, um, and uh, spending some time with family and friends. Do you find that uh, despite being an early stage startup, you still have enough time for your personal life? It's a good question. I think COVID uh, <laughs> invited myself and, and our team to work crazy, crazy hard because there wasn't much else going on. And it was very easy to say, well, uh, I should just keep going and keep working. I do think it, in many ways it was necessary for us to get to our next mm -hmm. milestones. So um, definitely like all around uh, good. I think though with the world opening back up a little bit, um, we recognize that uh, especially as we're hiring now and bringing on a larger team, uh, it's a lot more uh, important for us to, con you know, continue to invest in ourselves as people and our team from a work-life uh, standpoint as we continue to grow. In terms of investing into your team, like, what are your thoughts on, like, your company's culture? Like, what's important to your team as it relates to culture? Yeah, so basically, um, I'd say for us, the most important thing or some of the most important things are around uh, creativity uh, being autonomous, um, being able to work, uh, collaboratively as well. So autonomous and collaboration could sometimes, 
you know, seem different, but it's very important when you hire someone for a role that they're able to go heads down and, uh, you know, do their job uh, to the best of their ability. But from a collaboration standpoint, it's equally important to be able to raise your hands and uh, ask for help and uh, continue learning and engage uh, with other folks, especially in a remote first company like the one we're building. Okay. As you go along further and further in your entrepreneurial company, CEO role, what are some things that you've been learning recently that you wish you knew from the very beginning? Hmm. That's a, it's a great question. I would say, uh, maybe first don't be as hard on myself. Um, okay. is probably the, uh, you know, most obvious one to me at the moment, just because, I think when you don't know what it's going to take and you are doing it for the first time, um, at least uh, I'm the type of person who likes to uh, be all in like 110% of the time, all the time. And I think that intensity and that um, amount of energy uh, sometimes could also potentially get in your way. Uh, so I've found, uh, I've been able to, I think, you know, over the last two years continue to grow, uh, as a person, hopefully, uh, that translates, uh, as well to the team. As you grow as a leader, what are some of the things you've seen to be really important in the role of leadership? Yeah. Um, I am a big believer in, uh, practicing what you preach. Uh, and I do think, um, you know, it's funny because I, I you know, I, on, on one hand, I feel like it's, uh, you know, culture starts, uh, like at the bottom, but I equally think culture starts at the top and you want to, uh, invite your team and your organization as it continues to grow, uh, to continue uh, building and expanding on the values that, uh, you've set out on your mission, uh, rather than, you know, devolving, um, over time, just because of, uh, you know, growing too fast or not hiring the right team, etc. So to us, it's very crucial that we, um, as creative folks, as lifelong learners, as, uh, you know, people who, love working in this space at the intersection of uh, creativity and, you know, engineering, being able to continue building a product that um, is not only reflective of our customer, but is reflective uh, of ourselves. And ultimately, from a leadership standpoint, it's important for us to, I think, continue uh, communicating that well as we continue to build a team. The second to last question I'd like to ask is what advice would you give to founders or soon to be founders who are watching this episode? I would say first off, uh, don't do it as a first time founder by yourself. And it's a big mistake. Um, I'm really, really lucky to have an amazing team with me. Uh, I would have failed a long time ago on my own. I really like fundamentally, uh, you know, as you can probably tell, feel strongly that you should not go out it uh, by yourself the first time. I know there are solo founders that succeed. Uh, I've seen the numbers though on around success rates and they're definitely 
down uh, for solo founders. And I've even seen investors uh, not liking, uh, especially at an early stage, investing in teams with solo founders. Even if your founder market fit is so strong, um, meaning you are like really the right person to be taking on uh, the challenge that you're solving, uh, even if that's like a nearly perfect fit, there's just so many things to do. And it's really challenging to wear so many hats and successfully uh, grow your business and your company by yourself if you don't have the right day-to-day support there in the you know trenches with you. Can you elaborate on how you feel like it, you wouldn't have succeeded if it were just two of the three of you? Like, how do you know if three is not enough? Well, how do you know that you didn't want a fourth co-founder or a fifth co-founder? Like, what's the appropriate size? Good question. First off, uh, we've only hit certain milestones. We are far from uh, having succeeded. Uh, we're, on, we're on our way uh, towards <laughs> our success, though. So that's first off. Secondly, um, I like three. Uh, I'm a big believer in the checks and balances uh, of, you know, government, of other, uh, you know, types of organizations. And I think uh, three is the right fit because, uh, you know, having an even number can often cause, uh, you know, 50-50 splits. Um, having a solo founder, I just mentioned, uh, can be overwhelming. And I think having five people as co-founders is likely uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. Okay, sounds good. And uh, the last question I'd like to end all of my calls with is, how, what's the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you if that's something they'd like to do? Sure, uh, you can email me at Larry, L-A-R-R-Y, at sequence.app, spelled C-Q-U-E-N-C-E dot A-P-P. Sounds good. Uh, thanks again for your time, Larry. This has been great. Sounds good. Thanks, David.